0: In this episode of Octal FM, we discuss the decade-old staple of open-world first-person shooters, Borderlands. Welcome to another episode of Octal FM. I'm Gelada,
1: And I'm Sefran.
0: And today we're going to do a bit of a retrospective look at one of the biggest and sort of most influential uh, video game franchises of all time, especially given its relative age in the sense that it's quite new on the scene. Uh, and that is uh, the Borderlands series. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of them. There's a lot of there's like a bunch of main series games um, and there's a lot of um, spin-off stuff. Um, it's got some interesting history because, you know, it was really quite different to a lot of stuff that was around at the time when it was being developed, you know, in sort of like mid 2000s. And so we're going to sort of take a look at where borderlands came from and sort of talk through some of the some of the games which are some of our favorite games you know we've played them a lot at at lands we've played a lot individually Mm. uh i know you're a big fan you know and you've been playing borderlands three you know and so yeah it's an interesting one to look at and just sort of talk through We've definitely talked, it a couple of times on the
1: show before. Like, I know we did our soundbite episode on my impressions of Borderlands 3, uh, and it's come up multiple times when we've talked about, like, games to pay at lands and stuff like that, just as you say, mm-hmm. because it's one of those games that's very easy to pick up and play and put back down again for a short period of time. Like, it doesn't rely on you to have, like, a large investment of time, which is definitely one of its big selling points, and probably why it took off to begin with, honestly.
0: Yeah, and if you're not familiar with Borderlands, which is probably quite surprising for our audience, but it's a... Uh... Real mashup of first-person shooter and RPG. It's very cooperative, or sort of very like designed around cooperative cooperative play, uh, and having a you know a reasonable amount of story and sort of individual characters. But it also has some really unique mechanics and unique aspects of it, um, and you can see a lot of influences in it from sort of the history of of the series in terms of you know the origins and who made it it was made by a company called gearbox they've been around for quite a while right 1999
1: yeah originally 1999 i think they started out on like ports and stuff didn't they and like small expansions
0: yeah like they were commissioned to do lots of expansions for half-life and stuff like that so things like blue shift counter-strike condition zero um and sort of ports of pc games onto console Mm. um so all of that kind of stuff and i mean their background beyond that is like it's randy pitchford you know he's from um, 3d realms so there's a little bit of like jute nukem uh, influence and stuff like that in there it's pretty
1: cool because it's it now we think of gearbox we think of a fairly like sizable important studio but it started out with relatively humble beginnings hmm. but it had quite well-known well-established people from hmm. the beginning like you say like coming from studios like 3d realms and uh, what else they come from i guess i think some from activision you know coming from some fairly big studios you know so I think it was always destined to do relatively well, this company.
0: Yeah. And actually there's some interesting history in the sense of the fact that Gearbox was making games for for Valve, you know, with the Half-Life expansions and stuff like that. There's a it's a bit tangential but there's a documentary by noclip um, all about half-life which is on youtube um, and randy pitchford is in that Um, and there's some discussion there around the expansion packs and sort of the relationship between um, valve and, and gearbox so it's worth if you sort of want to dive into some of that like corporate history a little bit more then that's definitely worth checking out and also just doing a bit more bit more reading around some of those kind of origins it's a
1: company with a pretty interesting and diverse history. Mm. Um, like nowadays, when you say Gearbox, most people would immediately think of Borderlands, but it's not all it's done, and it isn't all it has used to do either.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: But then it did make Borderlands. Uh, <laughs> yes. Know, that's, that's where it really did all start for the, mm. the, the company. Um, they did make a few um, games beforehand. Um, they helped make games like 007 Nightfire mm. uh, for EA. They helped do a port for Halo. Um, Oh, yeah. Back in the day as well. Was that on On PC? PC, Yeah, yeah. that's right. But then it really did kick off with them properly with with the original Borderlands game. Uh, And they were looking to try and make a game, like you said, that mixed up the genre a little bit. Because this was during Mm. the heyday of FPSs, right?
0: Mm. Yeah, you had like... They started dev on Borderlands in, I think, around 2005. And I think it was sort of really pitched as Halo meets Diablo, essentially. Mm. Uh, And there's sort of a lot of inspiration as well from not just Diablo, but also roguelikes and things like NetHack in the sense that one of its key things is that the guns in Borderlands are procedurally generated, Mm. right? And so you have just this limitless amount of possibilities of sort of all these weird and, and interesting weapons and sort of different ways that they, different random combinations of statistics, about the weapons and how they kind of come together.
1: It was a very clever method of doing it, too, because it Mm. wasn't just, like, this gun has a higher damage output. It's because the guns themselves are produced, generated depending on what parts they have. So, like, it'll have a different barrel and a different stock and a Mm. different clip and a different firing mechanism, etc. And all of those things come together to make a different variation of a gun. So, a bit like maybe, like, a Pokemon or something with, like, specific IVs or whatever when you breed them. The guns have intrinsic ups and downs to them so you're always looking yeah. for like the one with the right kind of receiver or the right stock or something like right. that to get you just the right kind of numbers that you might be looking for
0: yeah and there's always a risk with procedurally generating stuff is that it's kind of overbalanced and as a result all the weapons are just have too much good and bad about them mm. to balance out but borderlands most of the time gets it pretty right and you you know you have guns that feel cool even though they're still balanced i don't know they just managed to have enough interest and enough sort of like difference between them i know we're jumping
1: the gun a little bit part the pun but um one of the things as well that they did a, they i don't know how they came to the decision to do it but it came across really well was having the idea of like the manufacturers like mm. the brands yes and they've changed some of the different brands and how they work over the games in fact each game kind of the brands do slightly different things but each brand of gun has like a different variety yeah. to it like a different trait to it so as an example like a vladov gun will have the ability to fire a lot more bullets a lot more quickly whereas like a td gun has the ability to reload very very fast by basically throwing the gun away and getting a brand new one for free yeah um and all these sort of unique kind of traits and elements added onto the idea of the procedurally generated gun parts to make each gun mm. makes everything feel quite unique and special
0: it's an interesting way to do it because The way that the procedural generation will be working is that, you know, there'll be a bunch of parameters for every weapon and they're just being randomly nudged around in a way that isn't too overpowering one way or another. And one of the things that is nudged is like the manufacturer. And it's a great way of doing it, like by giving a bit of personality to the statistics, Mm. if you like, by being like, oh, it's actually the names of gun manufacturers. It's not like this random property that means that you throw it away or it reloads really fast. It's like, no, that's because... like the effect is the same in the sense that you're still just randomly picking um sort of like you know from a pool of parameters yeah but by being like oh that's because it's this manufacturer you start to build more of like an ecosystem and it feels more alive and because a lot of problems with procedural generation can be that it it feels too artificial you know it doesn't feel curated or crafted but by adding those kind of labels and character on top you really kind of get that extra feeling on top and it kind of disguises the proceduralness of it
1: and i think that was really important because i think even if everything else about the game was good which it was in the first instance the first game i think if that had failed i think the game itself probably would have failed because mm. otherwise it would have just been a relatively unrewarding samey feeling shooter mm. which there were a lot of at the time that's the thing is that this was going into a pool of games which was already quite saturated with yeah either like, realistic-style shooters, things like your Call of Duties and your battlefields, or your more over-the-top sci-fi-style shooters, like your Halos, for example. Yeah. This seemed to... Because it was Rage well. That came out the same sort of time yep. as well, didn't it? You know, but this did seem to manage to buck the trend and stand above all of those in its own unique way because of the fact that they got that procedural weapon generation down really well. And I'm guessing they did quite a lot of testing to make sure that that... <laughs> generation process worked nicely Mm. Um, and they don't just use it for the guns either that's something else to make sure we mention as well things like the grenades the shields they all have the same sort of procedural generation to them as well so even though there were only initially four character classes to choose from no one player will have the same setup per person you know
0: and it's interesting you mentioned about sort of like without that maybe it would have failed I think originally when people were sort of talking about Borderlands a lot of people thought that the concept of kind of blending rpg and fps um, mechanics really heavily um would fail um, because people wouldn't want something that was kind of a blend of both and people wanted either you know something that was an rpg or either something that was an fps which is funny when you think about it now because pretty much every fps has you know quite heavy rpg characteristics in it and that's that's really become like a mainstay of the sort of you know of of these games. Otherwise, you just I get, have to look at games like Destiny and yeah, uh, exactly, and Anthem right. and stuff. Like they Absolutely. very
1: much owe their existence to games like Borderlands.
0: Absolutely. And I always sort of so Borderlands in some ways reminds me a little bit of Serious Sam. Um, yeah. And, but it's just so much more. By adding those RPG elements, it adds so much more depth. Otherwise, it would just be a little bit like Serious Sam, but with random guns. Mm. <laughs> because it's Which quite... wouldn't have the same impact. Yeah, exactly. Nowhere near. Because, you know, Serious Sam was good, but it's not, like, amazing.
1: Yeah, whereas you Borderlands... play it for a couple of hours and that's it. Whereas Borderlands will keep you hooked for 40 plus, no yeah, problem. Because exactly. it has that sense of progression as you level up. Because we've not even talked about that aspect of the fact that your character levels up as well. Mm, and there are skills mm. involved as well. So it makes it feel like an RPG, like World of Warcraft or Diablo, whilst also shooting guns you know yeah
0: and something that's really that i find really interesting about borderlands you know development as a whole is that the iconic kind of visual style was actually added very late in the first game's development Mm. in response to the fact that people sort of when they were testing it it was like it doesn't really look unique enough you know like you say Mm. there were things like rage and, and fallout and stuff like that around at this time so you know If you imagine Borderlands without the cell shading, it is quite muddy and looks like anything else and maybe a little bit too realistic. So by adding it, they added the sort of cell shading characteristics quite late on. Like, I think probably the game was mostly finished and it it actually delayed the game to to sort of change the, the visual style. Keep that in mind as we talk about the other games, because it's quite interesting that that was added late. And when you then look at the later games, you really sort of start to see the that it took a lot longer for that style to really bear fruit fully in the series. And the mm. same goes as well for the fact that because there was this kind of hesitance around blending RPG and FPS, but after the first game was released and it was, a, you know, and it was a real success and I'm sure it was an unexpected success in, in, in scale. I don't think they expected it to be as successful as it no, was. Definitely
1: not. Like it was good, but like they expected it to be this much of a success. Yeah,
0: And then, that then you can clearly see when you then look at the later games and when we talk about them that that really gave them the confidence mm. to really kind of double down on the on the RPG elements and sort of really flesh that out, especially when you look at the latest um, installment with Borderlands 3 where that really, really takes a forefront um, sort of part of the game. But talking about the
1: actual game itself for a while, mm. uh, as opposed to the series, the original Borderlands was obviously have a great fun game to play. Otherwise the series as a whole wouldn't have taken off, but it's amazing how different it feels by comparison to the, the, the newer games precisely because of what you were just saying and playing it back now, it almost feels like a prototype demo version of mm. what they wanted to make in the first place. So like the idea of the characters having kind of skills, was first introduced in the very first game but they were a lot more toned back like nowadays the skills are a very vital part of the gameplay but in the the first four Vault Hunters um, the skills themselves were kind of just extensions of doing more damage mm-hmm. and not much else um, they didn't really change much about the way the character could play and you couldn't really tweak how the skills worked all that much either like you could make it so the skills did like more damage or did an elemental effect or something like that but that was kind of it And then another aspect of the game that was quite mooted by comparison to the modern games, too, was sort of like the comedy and the references and the Easter eggs. Like, there were some definitely splattered around here and there, but it was very much a a secondary minor thought, especially when you compare it to the later installments as well. Mm. So you can see all of these elements, just like you said, where they had the confidence to kind of go with the things that were maybe a little bit more
0: crazy for an FPS uh later on down the line yeah you're right it definitely sort of feels like borderlands one was kind of a test in some mm. ways of of some of the mechanics that they were definitely unsure about going into it because they were trying something so new and in borderlands two they really kind of doubled down on it what was the gap between borderlands one and two it was three years right yeah three years yeah, i in think between. three years yeah in between the first one and the second one and Yeah, I mean, even even the from a story point of view, like the fact that they would now really locked in this kind of cell shading design and sort of lightened it up quite a lot compared to proper realistic style first person shooters. I think that probably gave them the freedom to really go all in on the on the sort of comedy aspect of it, Mm. um, because it just makes a lot more sense in that kind of art style.
1: Yes absolutely Which is also interesting when you consider what you said earlier as well That that art style choice was also a relatively late decision in right. the game's process So everything kind of came together kind of perfectly for them Like I think if they'd have made it exactly how it was initially intended to be made It probably wouldn't have been in all that spectacular of a game mm. But all these sort of like last minute decisions and kind of small choices they made here and there Kind of ended up making this final product which really resonated with a lot of people mm. And that was also evidenced by the fact that the games did so well with their DLC, too. I mean, even the very first game had four individual pieces of DLC. They weren't as substantial as the later DLCs in the other games. But, I mean, this, again, you've got to remember, 2009 wasn't necessarily, like, the hotbed of guaranteed DLC you get nowadays. I mean, it was a relatively well-established concept, but it was usually, like, a get- the horse armor as the example right (laughs) it was like have a gun or have a new skin for your character but these dlcs were like full-on new areas new Mm, weapons mm. new skills new story points you know it was a it was a full-on expansion pack as opposed to just a little bit of extra content
0: yeah exactly it's really interesting the sort of commitment i guess it feels it feels like that thread is woven through all of the games in that they're sort of quite committed to them and they tend to have quite long lifespans you know and they're still relevant and actually that's good because they've aged really well. So it's great that they sort of like expanded upon them um, over time because even now Borderlands 2, like we were in preparation for this episode, we've played through um, a bunch of Borderlands 2. It, it stands the test of time. Like it, like it really does. Borderlands 1, maybe slightly less so, but 2 definitely does. And obviously pre-sequel does as well, you know, and I think that that is you know, the combination of them looking after the game and also the fact that it ages well um, is a great great combo as a gamer.
1: And they really did look after Borderlands 2. That was mm. the one that really took off for them. I mean, that game, they were making DLC for it as late as just last year in 2019. Yeah. yeah. Um, bearing in mind that was in preparation for Borderlands 3 coming out as a piece yeah. of advertising. Still, though, Even still like, it's quite an unusual fa-
0: step to take, for sure. Yeah, like, it is.
1: And we'll, we'll touch on that when we talk about the release of Borderlands 3. But like, they treated this game with a lot of love and care Mm. and they obviously were very proud of the game as well the amount of re-releases the game got like there were game of the year editions as usual but then there was also the handsome collection which was like a package bundle of all of the dlc
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, and the pre-sequel game as well which is a separate game entirely Uh, and it was for a really low price too so they were very proud of the game they wanted to get it out into people's hands and playing it because It was just a great way to push this new IP they had, Mm. which was now making them a lot of money.
0: Yeah, I mean, Borderlands as a whole is one of the best selling games of of all time. It's made, it's taken over like a billion dollars in revenue, which is, which is a crazy number. Anything about billions is is crazy. Yeah,
1: it's hard to comprehend how much that really is.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: But Borderlands 2 really pushed the the boat out and and made it even, made it big. Like, Borderlands 1 was a good success. Like, it was really good, very well received, but Borderlands 2 really hit it big. And I think that was pretty much down to the fact that they kept the same formula but refined everything. Um, They brightened everything up, so the game was a lot more kind of lively and vibrant looking. They hired a a, a brand new writer to write the whole story, Mm -hmm. Um, so the story was very interesting and funny and unique. Um, the characters were all had a lot more personality to them this time. The old characters in the previous game were brought back as NPCs who also had their personalities expanded quite considerably.
0: Mm. It's very fan service, um, but like... <laughs> it, it is,
1: but I mean, that's what a lot of people
0: want. Like, yeah.
1: if you played the original game and then you kind of like you're running around, you see like one of the original Vault Hunters, you know, as as like the person that you're working for it's like oh that's so cool like I remember that person and then it also fleshed their characters out even more which famously they've now done in three for the characters from two you know right So it feels like that's sort of, like, the knock-on effect. You get to meet the previous player characters Mm, as mm. NPCs. But the game... I think one of the most memorable things about Borderlands 2, because if we're going to talk about Borderlands 2, we can't not talk about him, is probably the main bad guy, right? Handsome Mm, Jack. mm. Like, that's probably one of the most, like, iconic things about the game, right?
0: Mm, Yeah, definitely.
1: Like, he very much is the centre point of the whole game. He drives the game forward. He has... Uh, wonderful voice acting like the voice acting has always been pretty good in the game uh in the game series sorry but he himself as it was such a good likable hateable bad guy mm. really pushed the game forward had a great balance of humor but also like malice and obvious kind of bad guyness. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for lack of a better word very very clever character writing and the story was really enjoyable like the story in borderlands one was very lackluster and very kind of paper thin, but it was enough to serve the purpose of the game itself whereas borderlands 2 didn't skimp out the story it had both it had the full-on kind of gameplay that people wanted L- loads of replayability i mean hell how many times have we replayed the first like two hours of borderlands Two? Yeah. <laughs> and it's still fun isn't it like it's yeah, still pretty yeah. enjoyable to do every single time but yet the story doesn't suffer for that at mm. all the story
0: is really enjoyable yeah it's interesting because um, they're um, they're making a film of borderlands right i wonder if that if that storiness will like if it'll transfer into a into a film or not i don't know i mean the only problem i have is that they're going to lean too heavily into the memes
1: and the reference culture mm-hmm. that it has now developed into which at first was really nice and fun and and enjoyable like i can say fan service it was great but i feel like and this will come up in borderlands 3's discussion it's very much leaned too heavily into it now uh and it's mm-hmm. kind of almost all it is outside of its gameplay um mm-hmm. it is very much the reference culture mm-hmm. but we'll get on that
0: yeah in between two and three right you had the pre-sequel um Mm -hmm. which is not it was 2014 so two years after borderlands 2 not gearbox though or like not primarily gearbox i'm sure that they gave them some help but it was actually 2k australia and 2k were always the publishers of of borderlands i think right
1: yes that's right yeah they published the games
0: um and this was their
1: smaller development team based out of
0: australia yeah and it was very like Like it almost blurs in my mind, like Borderlands, the pre-sequel feels like just another story in Borderlands, in the Borderlands 2, like, game engine and sort of like most of the mechanics are roughly the same. There's a couple of bits and pieces added, but it's definitely a smaller step. You know, it's like when you sort of think about like a mini game in between the two well pre-sequel is to
1: borderlands 2 as majora's mask is talking of time for right yeah exactly like, Exactly. it's no less a good game but it is very much still in the shadow of its predecessor
0: mm. yeah exactly i don't know is there anything else particular about pre-sequel that sort of like aids the the story of borderlands
1: well, pre-sequel expanded the story of Borderlands 2 more by mm. showing you the good guy side of Handsome Jack yeah. and also the good guy side of some of the other NPC characters from mm. Borderlands 2. For example, you got to play as either Wilhelm or Athena, who was in the first game's DLC. Anisha, yeah. uh, she was also a bad bad guy NPC in the, in the second game too. Like it really expanded on their characters mm. and also expanded on... Them as people beyond just being plain bad guys because they were good guys in the, in the, in the you know in the pre sequel. Mm. The story is is tied to the main overlying plot now of the games with the idea of the vaults and the the guardians and and mm. all that. But it's it, it, it's it's good. It's not. As good as two, though, in my opinion. Mm. Um, Gameplay-wise, it's still fantastic, though. Some of the new mechanics they added to, things like the O2 meter, being able to kind of, like, moon jump, literally, because you're on the moon, uh, was really fun. Having, like, a ground-pound ability. They made the, the, the skill trees even more... Variable and more customizable. So you felt like you were able to change your character more in line with your playstyle than ever before, mm. as well, which I really liked. Uh, again, they made it so that you could get access to that easier and quicker. Like they lowered the, the level cap to it. And it just feels like consistently they are making it so that it's more of an RPG and less of a shooter with each individual game. Right. But whilst not necessarily dumbing down the shooting either. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's always been a good shooter. Like, right, like the guns have always felt good. It's always felt yeah. good to shoot things. Like, that's never, it's never had that problem for sure. Like some um, first person shooters can. But then there was there was a big hiatus between pre sequel and three, hmm.
1: which was only really filled with the Tales of the Borderlands game, which was not really a Borderlands game in the same in the strictest sense. It was just a, a game within the same universe. Uh, It was made by Telltale Games, famous for things like The Walking Dead and The Wolf Among Us. I don't know if I've ever played any
0: Telltale Games at all, ever.
1: It's (laughs) definitely for a particular type of person. Mm. Like, I imagine many gamers of the Borderlands series would probably hate it, because Mm. it's not action at all. It's a a story game, you know? It's a point-and-click adventure game. You know, so it's very much against the sort of high-octane, high-action of Borderlands. But... It was still a really great story. The aesthetic of Borderlands, like the the cel-shaded sort of like cartooniness of everything really fit nicely. It allowed some more sort of silly slapstick moments that otherwise in a point-and-click adventure game wouldn't necessarily work Mm. from a visual perspective. It uses some of the same plot points. It uses some of the same characters. The voice work is absolutely fantastic. Like if you like the Borderlands series as a whole, not just the actual game itself, it's definitely something worth checking out.
0: Mm. But yeah, let's talk about the literally the biggest and best-selling game in the in the franchise to date and oh, arguably the weakest um yeah which is <laughs> which is borderlands 3 which i know i mean particularly in the context of the two of us or at least you is is uh, i think probably the most controversial out of yeah 100 out of all of these borderlands games yeah definitely like I've, i don't want to reiterate too much about what i said
1: about it in the soundbite we did on mm. it so if you want to listen to that go back and listen to it But it feels like they made it because they needed the money to make more games, if that makes sense. Like, they don't feel like they needed to have made three. And I think if you go back and look at some of the interviews they did back in the day, people like Randy Pitchford at Gearbox basically said, no, we're done. Like, two is what we want. Pre-sequel is just sort of like more fan service by another smaller uh, development company using the same assets as two. So it's fine. It's almost like a big expansion pack. We don't need to make a three. And then eight years later, they make three. Now not to say that it's not a good game it's not enjoyable it is and i I don't want to rag on it too much but it definitely feels unnecessary um Mm. it feels like either they need to have done something quite considerably different with it or maybe even just made like borderlands 2.5 or something Mm. i don't know but the game itself
0: isn't as good as the previous game's quality should mean it would be what are the sort of what are the biggest changes in in borderlands 3 So it continued the trend of moving away from shooting more into RPG. Mm.
1: So the skills now are very much front and center, even behind the guns, in my opinion. Even though the guns are more varied than ever, like the guns are more procedurally generated, they're crazier, they have more weird and unique, interesting traits to them. There's more unique guns at the same time, which have kind of like unique like, specific effects to certain guns. Like, Mm -hmm. there's one gun, for example, that will, like, shout obscenities at you as you shoot it. (laughs) Uh, Another gun that when you, like, reload it, you'll throw it away, but then it'll hover around you like, a little sentry turret sort of thing. You know, lots of really unique and cool ideas. But they are now playing second to the skills because the skills are so powerful and they are so customizable. Like, every character now has three individual skills to choose from. And even one of the characters can actually apply two of them at the same time. Uh, and even then you can change up how they work and how they play. So it very much feels like a first-person Diablo game now as opposed to a first-person shooter game.
0: Right. Uh, That's which an interesting isn't way a to describe bad it.
1: thing. Don't get me wrong. It's a lot of fun. But it's definitely lost its first-person primary roots now Mm. Uh, it's moving very much into it into a
0: typical rpg looter it's very interesting isn't it when you think about its origins and you know yeah it did want to be a blend of rpg and fps and now it's sort of uh, an rpg you know first and foremost really it's really kind of definitely you know and i guess maybe they're sort of thinking well how much can we really Um, lean on sort of procedurally generated guns as a Mm. concept um, and sort of the you know a a logical next step from there is to you know just add more depth to some of the surrounding aspects and sort of push that back a little bit um, into the into the backgrounds but yeah it's 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 interesting like there was such a long gap between the two and it has been well it's sold very well yes Um, but what do you think What do you think is the... What would you like the future of Borderlands to be? And what do you think they might do? Like, what what, uh, do you think is What I would
1: like them to do is to do what they've done with the previous games. Maybe release some more kind of nice, chunky DLC.
0: Which they uh, most certainly will do.
1: Which they will do. That will continue to build upon the story and the characters from the first game. Hopefully, rather from kind of the primary game, Portlands 3, which will hopefully fix some of the problems with some of the characters and some of the plot because it was a bit all over the place, um, but I won't go into that here. But then after that, like, I think, I feel like maybe they need to reinvent the series a little bit, have a little bit of a reboot. Like, Bring mm. things back down to a normal level because at the moment, like it's riding very much on like the hype wave. Everything is so ridiculous and over the top. It right. feels like you could do with normalizing a bit again. Do yeah, you think
0: they've sort of fallen into that trap of like bigger is better, and they've and yeah, they've got to definitely. just keep doing bigger, better things for yes. every game, and you can't yes, definitely go back from that.
1: <laughs> and that's both true in terms of the gameplay, but also in terms of the story as well. Like they're both right. trying to outdo previous games, and you understand why considering how good Borderlands Two was, but. Yeah. I feel like it's just an arms race that's not going to end in a good product eventually. Yeah. So, like, maybe make, like, a Borderlands game that's a little bit more first-person shootery-based, mm. you know? Or even make, like, a Borderlands game which is completely RPG-based, you know, remove the shooting altogether and has it as, like, a Warcraft or Diablo-style RPG mm. game, you know? Or something yeah, like that.
0: I guess I, it's kind of interesting, like, when you think that they have, because they have done, or, like, telltale have done tales for um tales from the borderlands i think that there's an opportunity definitely to explore some different genres or like tweak it slightly like you say like whether it's more rpg or more fps or more something else like some kind of more lean on the adventure stuff more maybe one of the Um, things i
1: would like to see them do is maybe release a free version of the game either release a free version of borderlands 3 or maybe like a standalone version or something that focuses quite heavily on like a raid mode um because the games do have like raid bosses you can fight with like other people right but they're not fleshed out quite enough in my opinion to make them like a true raid experience like you'd find like an mmo for example mm. like games or like, like that
0: some of the chunky destiny raids for example, maybe you could do well.
1: something like you're saying with destiny uh with like the, the big raids there or maybe something like final fantasy 14 that has some of the absolute fantastic raid bosses that you can play with other people that requires a lot of cooperation Mm, yeah Um, i think that would go really well like you could definitely have some form of like quote-unquote live service borderlands there oh yeah um don't muddy the waters by making it a main game don't make it borderlands form be that make it something standalone make it free to play um and that i think that could be another good step forward for because free to play borderlands that's an interesting thought isn't it whether they'll do it or not is another matter because they know they could just make another Borderlands numbered game and make a lot of money because mm. obviously it works because 3 made them a lot of money so whether they do or not don't know but i would say for the most part Borderlands is pretty much the only feather in the cap of Gearbox now really the only the series that i care about that they have access to is Homeworld which we've talked about before <laughs> yeah um, but some of that a lot of their other games like Battleborn didn't work for example unfortunately which is a shame but i mean it just never was going to work. And a lot of their other games, things like Duke Nukem and Alien Colonial Marines, failed them miserably. Mm. So Borderlands is very much their their single mm. claim to fame. And I think they could either do with expanding that further by leaving Borderlands alone for a long time now or by capitalizing on it further and building out a mm. Borderlands empire. Uh, but then, uh, look what yeah, I don't think it's going did... anywhere. <laughs> no. Look what happened when Bethesda did that with... With the old Scrolls and Fallout though, and you know, now people really don't like those games very yeah, much. True, so,
0: true, very true You know. But yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed this little retrospective look at Borderlands. You know, we sort of covered covered lots of its history. Um, we're going to do a few more of these. So if you liked it or disliked it, well, if you disliked it, tell us and then we won't do more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if you liked it or you've got any suggestions, um, and also if you just want to chat, chat Borderlands. Um, yeah. then it's
1: great. Is it great. We could go on for another episode about talking about Borderlands easy. Yeah,
0: definitely. But yeah, you should send us an, get in touch. Send us an email. Show at octal.fm. Uh, or come and grab us on twitter uh at octal fm on the old twitters uh, or facebook facebook.com forward slash octal fm and you can i'll send you some stickers if you let us know your address but not in a public tweet um,
1: there'll be procedurally generated stickers yes they will be, they'll be slightly different
0: <laughs> i'm going to cut them up and then i'm just going to mix them up into different <laughs> orders <laughs> but yeah in the meantime i've been gelato and i've been Saffron. and catch us again for another episode of octal fm very soon Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting because. So if you don't.